On Friday, the Supernova Music Festival got underway in the Negev Desert, not far from the Gaza-Israel border. And people were still dancing on Saturday morning around 6.30 when they saw paragliders in the sky. Some people kept dancing until they saw rockets, but then the music cut out. And a war began. Hamas militants came to murder, humiliate, and to shatter Israelis' sense of safety. Israel is changing the skyline of the Gaza Strip. Flattening it. Israel has also cut off Gaza completely. No power, food, and water allowed in. It's a total siege. A brutal new chapter in a seemingly never-ending fight. Coming up on Today Explained. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business, and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. You're listening to Today Explained. Allison Kaplan-Summer hosts the Haaretz Weekly Podcast. We reached out to her at her home in Renana near Tel Aviv to ask how all this began. Well, I woke up on Saturday morning from my husband's phone. He has an application on his phone that will ring if there's some kind of a red alert missile situation in our region. We have apps for that. So first I was woken up by the phone, uh, but we didn't hear anything. And so uh, for a few minutes, kind of went back to sleep and kind of ignored it. We didn't immediately think that there was any kind of an emergency situation. And then five, 10 minutes later, we heard an actual siren go off outside the house and we kicked into gear as we have in previous rounds of conflict. We uh, got our daughter out of her room and we all went down to the reinforced room in our house and uh, waited for the siren to end and waited for the thudding sounds of some sort of uh, missile collision, either midair or something landing. That happened and that's when we all tuned into the news and we thought, you know, this was another 
typical round of air conflicts between Hamas and Gaza and Israel. Turning into the news, it became very clear that this was a situation unlike anything we'd seen before. Hundreds of Hamas fighters poured across breached border points, smashing Israel's defenses, heading to more than 20 communities in a house-to-house search, largely unopposed. This happening across a wide area, in communities which were clearly part of a targeted plan. Once there, the fighters killed indiscriminately in the single deadliest day in Israel's existence. And there were also reports that inside adjacent cities, Ashkelon is a major city not far from the Gaza border, Sterot, that there was shooting going on in the streets, that there were Hamas terrorists inside these Israeli cities, and there were battles going on. This was something that we were unfamiliar with, had never seen before, and didn't even seem possible. The Israeli army has said that at least 50 soldiers have been kidnapped to Gaza. There are reports of 100 and 150 Israelis in total being held in Gaza. That's what Israel's UN ambassador has recently told the media. So this kind of mass hostage situation is something that uh, Israel has never dealt with before and is completely unfamiliar with, uh, with how to handle. People make a lot of comparisons between what has happened now in terms of military intelligence failure and the Yom Kippur War exactly 50 years ago. It was on October 6, 1973 that the Yom Kippur war broke out. This was October 7th, 2023, on the Jewish holiday of Sukkot, that this war uh, broke out. But when you talk about hostages and prisoners of war, back then, Israel was in a much better position because it was dealing with the Egyptian army, which was very organized and operated according to international procedures in terms of who the prisoners of war were, how they were being treated. This was all known, and it is clear that there's going to be a long and exhausting and depressing process of trying to figure out who is being held hostage, where they are. The negotiations are going to involve knowledge of the hostages as well as trying to ascertain their safe return and the return of bodies of any of those who are killed on the other side in Gaza. This is the great wild card, I think, of the events of Saturday. This is something that Israel has never seen before or dealt with before. And in the hours and even days that followed, give me a sense of how Israelis came to understand how vast this attack was. We understood that it was in so many places, in so many communities, and there is so much confidence in the Israeli military. This is a people's army, right? These are our fathers, brothers, sons, people we know. There is a huge amount of belief that when there's a problem, the army is there to take care of it. So disbelief increased over the course of the coming hours and unbelievably days when we learned that these people in these communities were locked inside their safe rooms here 
hearing gun battles going on around them, learning that there were terrorists in their homes, and some of them were sitting and waiting for help for hours, and some overnight for days, and people were calling for help, sending pinpoint locations to the authorities of where they were, saying that they needed to be rescued, in many cases that they were injured, and no help came, and nothing was on the way. This was a huge, huge crisis of confidence in the capability of the Israeli army. That's continuing even right now. We have planes, we have helicopters, we have tanks, we have everything. And, and the IDF, for the first couple of hours, it's like the, we, are, we had no army. The IDF wasn't exist. So obviously we have the shock of the attack, but it sounds like we also have a fair amount of shock over just how this happened. At this point, what is your understanding of, of the answer to that question? How did this happen? How was the Israeli military caught so flat-footed? I am no expert in the Israeli military or military intelligence, but I have spoken inside Haaretz, where I work, with former military correspondents, with someone considered the utmost expert in military intelligence, and they are as stunned, surprised as I am that there was no detection of any kinds of plans of something on this scale. That is going to be the subject of some kind of major inquiry. After the guns grow silent, there will be implications for it. But what everyone across Israeli society is saying right now is we just don't have the time, energy, or bandwidth for asking that question right now. Tell me how Israel is responding. Israel is responding, first of all, in the way that it normally responds, which is to immediately launch a major operation over uh, Gaza from the air. The might of Israel's arsenal thundered down on Gaza's cities, turning vast swaths of the Palestinian enclave to rubble in retaliation for Hamas's unprecedented attack. Israel's military told people to leave, but many either could not or did not and perished. Massive bombing is taking place. Israel has a bank of targets, Hamas targets, Islamic Jihad targets, uh, which every time that there is a conflict happening, you know, they start to go down the list. And the other preparation that's going on on a major scale is preparation for some sort of um, assault from the north, from Lebanon, from Hezbollah forces, suspecting that whatever inspired Hamas to do this at this time, there's a possibility that Iran is involved. It's no secret that Iran, a sworn enemy of Israel, has long provided financial and military aid to Hamas, along with other militant groups in the region, such as Hezbollah in Lebanon. You know, Hezbollah may be joining the assaults, the effort. And so there are major forces going up into the north, reinforcing border towns for a short period. There's no way of knowing for certain it's going to happen, but people feel like it's a strong likelihood. Smoke rises from southern Lebanon after Israeli strikes, sparking fears of a major escalation on another front. I don't know if you can answer this question, Allison. I don't know if anyone can answer this question, but I have to ask it, so I'm going to ask it. What comes next? Do we have any idea? None of us have any idea of what comes next after something like this. I mean, in any situation, we don't know what comes next, but there's going to be some sort of major change. 
Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, it was a lot of sort of saber-rattling and posturing. He says, we're going to change the face of the Middle East. I don't know how much he means that, but I do know that Israelis will not rest, will not let their government rest until something major changes and there's a very different uh, configuration of power and force than there was in the past. Allison, Kaplan, Summer, Haaretz, and Israel will ask why when we're back on Today Explained. Support for Today Explained comes from Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile is so cheap that Mint Mobile knows you think there must be a catch. Mint Mobile says, no, there is no catch. And for a limited time, their wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. To get this new customer offer and a new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just $15 a month, you can go to mintmobile.com slash explained. That's mintmobile.com slash explained. You could cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash explained. There's a $45 upfront payment that's required that's equivalent to $15 a month. This is for new customers on their first three-month plan only. Speeds are slower above 40 gigabytes on an unlimited plan, and additional taxes, fees, and restrictions do apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Support for Today Explained comes from Indeed. Hiring can be difficult. You can hope and pray and ruminate on how to find the perfect candidate, or you can turn to something more reliable, a smart piece of technology like Indeed's matching engine. According to Indeed, that matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences for job candidates, so it becomes more accurate over time. The more you use it, the better it gets. Indeed also lets you ditch some of the busy work, scheduling, screening, messaging. According to Indeed data, they have over 350 million global monthly visitors. They also did a survey that showed 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Listeners of Today Explained will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Today Explained. You can go to Indeed.com slash Today Explained. Let them know you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Today Explained. Terms and conditions do apply. Need to hire? Asks Indeed. You need Indeed. You're listening to Today Explained. This past weekend, Zach Beecham wrote an article titled, Why Did Hamas Invade Israel for Vox? We asked him the same question this morning. Hamas has been planning this for quite some time, maybe as long as a year, right? It, it's a militant group in the Gaza Strip, which is a very small area of about 2 million people surrounded by Israel and Egypt, populated by Palestinians. And Hamas has been in charge there uh, since around 2006, 2007. And... They are a militant group, terrorist group, that has killed a lot of Israelis, uh, and Israel has blockaded Gaza, prevented goods from coming in, uh, except to a limited degree, as a means of theoretically degrading Hamas. The problem is, uh, it doesn't seem to have challenged their rule in any way. So Hamas has been in charge for, what, around 16 years now, and Israel has fought multiple wars with them in the past. On the holiest night of Ramadan, more violence on the streets of occupied East Jerusalem. Palestinian protesters threw water bottles. 
Israeli security forces used stun grenades. There are a variety of different causes of those different flare-ups, but periodically it just seemed like violence would spike, then it would go back down, with significantly more casualties on the Palestinian side. This man was beaten on the ground in front of us and then ushered away into the night with no attempt to detain him. But it was the status quo that, from the Israeli point of view, is something they could live with, even if it's not ideal. This attack that Hamas had been planning for sometimes completely shattered that status quo. So we came here through a long, long, long road of conflict between Israel and, and, and the terrorist group Hamas. But ultimately, it seems that Hamas was, was, for reasons that are not yet fully clear, trying to break the status quo as it comes between Israel and Gaza. And it's important to note here that Hamas is not Palestine, and Benjamin Netanyahu is not the people of Israel. But let's talk about the people in power right now. What has the Netanyahu government's policy towards Gaza and the West Bank been up to this point? The basic goal of the sort of broad center of the Israeli public is security. They want to be safe. They want to be free from terror and be able to live their lives as a very wealthy, first-world, advanced democracy. The Palestinians create a significant problem for that, because in the West Bank, they functionally maintain an autocratic military rule over the Palestinian population. Cold and cramped. This is the only way for these Palestinian workers to leave the occupied West Bank to get to their jobs in Israel. It is the same thing every day. This is not a life. In what country in the world does this take place? It only happens to us Palestinians here because of the occupation. And in Gaza, there's an enclave controlled by an anti-Semitic militant group that hates Israel and wants to destroy it that they have to pen in. So the question is how you handle those things. Netanyahu, who's a very right-wing leader, uh, has chosen an aggressive posture designed not just to maximize security, but to prevent the formation of any kind of Palestinian entity that could even come to a two-state agreement with Israel that could lead to something that could functionally lead to the end of Israel's territorial ambitions in the West Bank. Netanyahu attempted to mobilize his hardcore base with two stunning promises. He will not support creation of a Palestinian state, and he will continue to construct Jewish settlements in East Jerusalem. And so in order to do that, he has pursued this very, very complex policy dance that has involved deepening Israeli control over the West Bank, in part by allowing for settlement expansion, and in Gaza, both restricting the flow of goods and blockading it to prevent Hamas from arming itself, but also shoring up the foundations of the group, allowing some money to flow in, for example, in order to essentially make sure that it's not going to lose power. It seems bizarre and counterintuitive if you care about security, but if you're Netanyahu and you really believe that Israel is best served by staving off the world's push for a two-state diplomatic solution, it makes sense that you see Hamas as kind of an ally because you point to them and you say, we can't negotiate with them. It's this horrible situation where extremists on both sides benefit from the other's existence. is not the most responsible government in Israel, and in fact, maybe one of the most irresponsible in the country's history. It's helpful to look at some of the concrete things that are being said. So Defense Minister Yoav Gallant, which, by the way, is one of the, he's one of the more responsible members of the current Israeli government, has said this after the attack, quote-unquote, I have ordered a complete siege on the Gaza Strip. There will be no electricity, no food, no fuel. Everything is closed. We are fighting human animals, and we are acting accordingly. I mean, this is a violation of the law of war. 
Israel has cut off electricity, fuel and water supplies to one of the most densely populated territories in the world. Hospitals are overwhelmed and unable to function without basic services. As far as I understand it, you can't just cut off electricity, food and fuel for an entire civilian population. And the use of the language human animals is terrifying. I mean, this is eliminationist language. This is, this is talking about justifying killing by dehumanizing your opponents. What happened to us is complete destruction. We are the Al-Bawab family and there were 150 people in this building. All of my family's homes have been destroyed. And when you start talking like that, I mean, things get really dangerous. Entire apartment buildings, homes, schools, and even a mosque weren't spared in the airstrikes. That's how Hamas talks about Israelis. And look what they just did, right? Look at the, the mass slaughter of Israelis that they engaged in. The, the tenor of rhetoric coming from the current Israeli government about what they're about to do in Gaza to add on to over 15 years of, of deep, 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 deep pain for the Gazans inflicted by uh, periodic wars and the Israeli blockade. I mean, I, I just shudder to think what's going to happen to innocent people in Gaza and, and innocent Israelis. If the Netanyahu government isn't seriously considering a two-state solution, what have they been seriously considering? Have, have other deals been on the table? There is no other deal that is acceptable to both Israelis and Palestinians, right? Basically, there are three potential solutions to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. The first is two states living side by side. The second is a one-state solution in which Israel incorporates both the Palestinian territories and dissolves its Jewish character by granting all Palestinians the right to vote and citizenship. And that's basically the end of Israel. So that's a non-starter for Israel and, and could potentially lead to significant amounts of ethnic violence. The third solution is basically similar to the second, except Palestinians are not granted the right to vote and are not considered citizens. This is uh, the favored solution of the Israeli far right, which includes significant elements of Netanyahu's government. And uh, it, it would amount to apartheid, right? That's what it is. And it's one that we have been creeping towards, right? The, current, the status quo is not exactly this, because it's not, there's no formal annexation. Some far-right members of Netanyahu's government have been pushing for, and the government even itself attempted to implement at one point before backing off thanks to incentives from the U.S. and Arab states. So you had a right-wing government that was slowly, over the course of time, by expanding the size of settlements in the West Bank, by keeping up the Gaza blockade, by keeping Palestinians divided, was pushing the country towards a one-state apartheid solution. That's where we were headed right now if things didn't change. From 2021 to 2022, it looked like there might be some kind of possibility for change. Israel had a new government that contained elements from the right all the way to the left, uh, including an Arab party that had dethroned Netanyahu and his far-right allies. And it looked like they might have been moving towards, in theory, uh, something that would be better than the status quo. The problem is that coalition itself was divided uh, between different groups uh, that have very, very different views of the Palestinians, and so they couldn't really take any action on that policy. Uh, the, the coalition fell apart. We got Netanyahu back with an even more right-wing government. So it's hard to know for certain, but tell me what we can be sure that Hamas was responding to. We all have some theories, and there are some things that are in their public statements, right? So the best or sort of clearest causal pathway for this uh, has to do with conflict in the West Bank. Land for blood and blood for land. These huge Israeli enclaves in the West Bank 
illegal under international law, make a future Palestinian state virtually impossible. So, for the past several months, uh, tensions between Israel and West Bank Palestinians have been heating up considerably. Basically, there was an ongoing cycle of violence. Uh, the settlers, Israeli settlers, emboldened by the far-right government that was encouraging them and supporting them, uh, ha- have been engaging in a series of atrocities against Palestinians of the West Bank, killing them, uh, burning their houses, scaring them, seizing their land, etc. There have been retaliatory responses by Palestinians and also independently launched attacks on settlers from Palestinians which then leads to settler retaliation on its own. So it doesn't really matter who started it. It just escalates, and it's happening under a condition in which settlers feel like they can act with impunity. This has led to Israel having to redeploy significant troops to the West Bank, uh, and they have been conducting bloody raids, which have then infuriated Palestinians and sparked retaliation on its own. Settler violence against Palestinians is now increasingly common. So you get a, an, ex, a, a, an exceedingly violent situation going on there where things look like they're getting worse. And this means two things. First, Palestinians are angry and angry at Israel, which gives Hamas an opportunity to capitalize by showing itself to be the force of resistance to the Israeli occupation. And second, and crucially, it means the Gaza border isn't defended in the way that it typically is because Israel's pulled so many of its active duty forces into the West Bank. Gunshots echoing through the Janine refugee camp, smoke billowing into the sky. The Israel Defense Forces launched their largest West Bank operation in two decades since the Second Intifada, or uprising, in the early 2000s. So that means Hamas has an opportunity. And one of the things that you hear, there's a very good piece in the Washington Post about this, is is empty guard towers and, and military posts that were unmanned at the border because people were doing things to secure settlers and their activities in the West Bank. It's a striking failure of the Israeli government for basically stoking this kind of conflict in the West Bank and the current government's policy. And for Hamas, it was this golden opportunity to breach the border. And that's what they did to horrible, horrible results. So it has to do really, I would say, more than anything else with both the the state of anger and frustration among Palestinians, which is not new, it's been going for a long time, but has spiked, and also with the vulnerability uh, on the Israeli side and the political chaos inside Israel, which has distracted it and led to Israeli defense officials warning publicly repeatedly that, the secur- that security was being endangered by the government pushing confrontational domestic policies at home uh, that were dividing the population against itself. So it, it's this kind of perfect storm. Zach Beecham is the author of the forthcoming book, The Reactionary Spirit. You can also read him at Vox.com. Our show today was produced by Halima Shah and Abishai Artsy. We were edited by Amina Al-Sadi, fact-checked by Laura Bullard and Amanda Llewellyn, mixed by Patrick Boyd and Rob Byers. I'm Sean Ramos from This Is Today Explained. First thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. 
Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on Call mom? <laughs> no. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower.